Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, Kids, I hope you caught that question there. How does God want us to make plans? Okay, be listening for that one. Uh, We're going to be listening as well, adults, so you don't get to tune out. (laughs) Um, Hey, just want to say good morning as well to those of you on the live stream. In case you're wondering why I'm looking out the back. Um, uh, I'm aware that a number of people among us are unwell at the moment. Uh, And so uh, we wish you were with us, but thank you for staying home. Uh, That's a wise thing to do. Uh, We're going to pray together now, including those of you who are at home, uh, that the Lord would uh, speak to us through his word. So would you join me? Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you're our God and that you've revealed yourself to us, that you're not distant, you're not far off. Uh, You're right here with us and you're right here speaking to us through the Bible these words that you've given us. Uh, And so, Lord, give us, please, ears to... um, Eyes to see wonderful things in your word uh, and a heart that's open to be changed by your loving reign. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, cast your mind back, if you can, to the end of 2020. About a year ago, if you can remember that long ago. And I wonder if you can remember what people were saying about the new year, about the year 2021. Do you remember? (laughs) There was a lot of positivity, wasn't there? There was a lot of like, out with the old, out with the dumpster fire that was 2020, (laughs) and in with the new, the the new year, the good year, this is where it's all going to turn around. There's a lot of positivity. I wonder, have you heard the same thing at the end of 2021? No. In fact, I've heard almost nothing. Uh, Last year, I was watching social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, and all all the positivity. This year, all the socials are almost totally silent, and so are the people as well. It's it's almost like we don't want to talk about what might happen in 2022, because we know that it might be bad. It's almost like the boogeyman. Don't talk about it. Because, and here's why, I think that, of course, 2021 has kind of pulled the rug out from under us, hasn't it? I could talk about a few more boogeymen. I could talk about COVID. I could talk about COVID Delta, COVID Omicron. Uh, I could talk about uh, you know, financial instability and all that sort of stuff, lockdowns. I did notice that, um, that Ross used the word lockdown this morning. I said, don't speak death over us like that. <laughs> we don't do that sort of thing. But um, it's no wonder uh, many people feel uncertain or shaky coming into 2022. Right? This has been a couple of years of massive change for us. And perhaps as you think about making plans for the year ahead, maybe that just feels pointless. Does it feel that way? 
It's like, why bother making plans? It's all just going to change anyway. We don't know what's coming. What's coming may well be bad. And so perhaps it feels hopeless to think about what's going to happen next or to plan for what's happening next. Now, uh, what do we do with that? That's what I want us to think about this morning. What do we do with that feeling of um, it feels hopeless, it feels pointless to make plans for the year ahead because there's been so much change? Here's one thing we could do with it, and this is, I think, what... um, I won't say most of the world. I think it's a peculiarly Australian thing. We're a bit of a pessimistic mob, Aussies, I think, And so um, what I've heard a lot of when I've asked, oh, you know, what do you think about the year ahead, is something like, oh, it just is what it is. Have you heard that? It just is what it is. It's it's the ultimate sort of glass half empty statement, isn't it? It is what it is. You can't change it. Just roll with it. We could do that if we want. But I think there's actually a better response, one that we're going to look at here in the scriptures. Uh, In fact, I think it's a a response that uh, maybe if we've had ears to open, 2021 has taught us about. I actually think the last year, rather than just being it is what it is, can potentially be a learning moment for us. Because, and, and listen carefully to this, I think that 2021 has woken us up. I think that many people have been under a cloud of delusion And the events of the last year or so have sort of snapped us into reality and helped us to see the truth for what it is. Now, what is the delusion about which I speak? (laughs) And what is reality for what it truly is? Well, we're going to see that here in God's Word. So open up to James 4. Uh, It's just towards the end of the Bible. If you flick right to the end and then just go past Revelation and a couple of books back, you'll find James. If you've got your Bible there, open it up. If you don't have a Bible... I can see a couple of people have phones, very clever. You can just put James 4 into Google. Um, I want you to see these words this morning. Notice how James, the writer of this book, inspired by God, begins. He says, come now. He's drawing our attention to something. It's, It's like he's saying, listen up. I've got something to say. Here's the teaching moment. Here's the thing that takes us out of the delusion. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Uh, See, in uh, in James' time, about 2,000 years ago, uh, there was this explosion of commerce in the Middle East. Right? Kind of probably a little bit like the last 20 years or so, actually, like with oil prices and all of that. There's just this explosion of commerce in the Middle East. Uh, and the reason for that at this point in history, 2,000 years ago, is because it's a time of peace. So think the Roman Empire is in charge. They built roads everywhere. They're not worried about war. They're protected. And so people are free to go about trading. They can cruise the waterways, get what they need. Uh, And so there's this explosion of commerce. And some people, like those that we hear quoted here by James, decide to become merchants. And how would you describe their tone here? Take a look at the words again. Today or tomorrow, we'll go over there, we'll go over here, we'll spend a year there, we'll spend a year here, we'll trade and we'll get rich. How would you describe their tone? Give me some feedback. Give me a word. Positive, confident, yep. Good, assured, optimistic, maybe even a little bit arrogant. 
<laughs> but, but probably it just reflects the nature of their time to some extent, doesn't it? Uh, hey, we're, we're free. There's nothing troubling us. We can go about doing as we please. We can make our plans and they happen. Probably, if I can say, a little bit like us a couple of years ago. Hey, things are okay. We can do what we need to do. Um, it kind of, in a sense, it's like I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my time. If I want to make a plan, I can make it and probably it'll happen. Now, that's especially true when we come to a new year, isn't it? I'm not going to bang on about New Year's resolutions or whatever, but I did read this really interesting thing here in an article this week about the new year. Tell me what you think of this quote. We are addicted to self-sufficiency. Without even realising it, we are all junkies for independence. The beginning of the new year is often a time when this becomes even more evident. It's the time when we are bombarded with encouragement to reflect and resolve. The hope is that in the new year, we will reach a greater level of self-improvement or attain a lasting commitment to live better. The turning of the year seems to put us on a quest to become all that we wish we could be. I wonder if you've ever felt that at the turn of the year. You know, it's January's here, now's the time to make plans and really improve myself. Whether it is uh, lose some weight or learn a new skill or start reading books or read my Bible better or whatever the case may be, it's the time where we sort of go, okay, I've really got to make a plan now and make it happen. And we feel perhaps I'm self-sufficient, I can make it happen, at least for a couple of weeks we feel that way. But like I said, the last couple of years have taught us that none of that's true. We're not in control. We're not in charge. We can't just make a plan and make it happen no matter what. There are all sorts of things outside of our control. And many of us, of course, have realised that. We've realised the things that James now unpacks for us. Look at how he answers the people who say, I'm going to go over there and trade and get rich. This is how he answers them in verse 14. You might say that, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, um, this, this first truth here, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. We all know this to an extent, and we've all experienced this the last year or so. We're always tuning into the news going, now how many cases and what new restrictions and what new freedoms and what we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But actually, this isn't a, a COVID truth. This has always been the case in the small things and the big things. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Because I can tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow morning right? Monday morning, I'm going to get up, I'll have a shower, I'll feed the cat, then I'll feed myself in that order. It's very important. And then uh, after that, I'll go on to work, I'll do some stuff. But of course, something might happen tomorrow morning. I might get in the shower and find there's no hot water. So now instead of feeding myself, of course, I'll still feed the cat. But after feeding the cat, I'll call the plumber, right? Now my morning's changed, right? Of course, in the small things, but also in the big things. It's always been the case. You go right back to, um, I've got a story here, 2012. There was a young couple who were named the Property Investors of the Year. 23 years old, right? Very young. Property Investors of the Year. And they managed to buy 16 properties in this town called Moranbar. Moranbar? Moranbar. 
Moranbar, I'll go with. Uh, and they were set to rake in about $500,000 a year in rental income. Like, just imagine that. Imagine you're getting that kind of money in. The newspapers are all saying, wow, you know, look at this genius young couple, these brilliant investors. But you know what happened? We see Moranbar was a, a mining town, and in 2012, the mining bust happened. And so they were left with these 16 properties. They had to still settle $3 million worth of debt. They're still settling that today. Right? These things happen. The big things and the small things, we're not totally in control. We don't know what the future will hold. We can make our plans, but we're not totally in control of whether they happen or not. And so James here says what we all know, we need a right view of the future. We're not in control of the future. We don't hold it in our hands. But he says a second thing too, and, and this is just a little bit further than perhaps what we might just gain from experience. He says, we also need a right view of ourselves. He asks the question, what is your life? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? What is your life? And I wonder if you've ever read like a, a celebrity autobiography. Put up a hand if you have before. An autobiography read by a celebrity. So most people have, which is amazing. Right? Because they don't say much. But uh, if, you, if you want to take a, a celebrity and sort of go, you know, how do they answer that question? What is your life? They go, well, something worth reading about. Right? Three or four hundred pages, here you go. I want everyone to read it. If you asked me, what is my life? I'd like to say something like, and if I put the title of the book, it would be, what is your life? Dan Kenny, intellectual super athlete. That'd be great. It wouldn't be true. <laughs> It'd feel good, though. But what James says is he says, try on a different title. Something like, Dan Kenny, a mist. That's what he says, a mist. And the subtitle could be, he was here for a little while and then he vanished. That's my autobiography. Dan Kenny, a mist. Now, I don't know how well that'd sell. At least it would be honest. Because look at what James says. What is your life? Well. It's like the condensation that you get on the bathroom mirror in the morning after you've had your shower. You turn on the fan, it's gone after a minute. That's your life. It's a mist. It's like the fog that hangs over the grass that's gone in the morning with the sunrise. A mist. Gone. We're here one minute, we're gone the next. And again, experience kind of has taught us this. You know, we all know that every time we step out the door, we might catch this virus. And uh, even being here, um, great that you're here if you're healthy, but of course there's, there's risks, aren't there? Um, and so we know that we might be the unlucky person who ends up in the ICU and that might be it for us. Sobering truth, but truth nonetheless. Uh, but uh, th there's a bigger picture here as well. It's not just about this virus. We are actually, as humans, here for only a short time. And our life goes like that, and then it's pretty quickly forgotten. For example, do you know the name of your great-grandfather? A few of you might, if you're ancestry buffs. I can see a few nods. I know Graham's a, a big ancestry buff. He knows the name of his great-grandfather. I used to, but then I forgot it, right? Which is classic. That's a lot of us. I could ask, do you know what your great-grandfather wanted to accomplish in life? What were his plans? What did he want out of life? I don't know. I don't know for my great-granddad. He was only here 30 or 40 years ago. I've got no idea. But really, he was just a blip 
on the human timeline. All his plans, all his thoughts, all his hopes, all his dreams gone. And the world moves on. It's a bit sad, isn't it? <laughs> but this is the truth. We are remissed. We're here for a time and then we are here no longer. Which means, if you want to take the, the teaching point from that, the world doesn't revolve around us. The world actually moves on without us. We're here for a time, then the world moves on. It doesn't revolve around us and our plans. So you put these two things together that James says. Firstly, what is a right view of the future? Well, it's the view that we are not in ultimate control. There's the first thing. And then the second, what is a right view of ourselves? We need to see we're just here for a short time and that the world doesn't revolve around us and our plans. Put those two things together. Now, do you feel encouraged? Was it worth stepping outside the door and taking the risk this morning to hear that news? It's great news, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's a hard thing to grip, but it's true. It's not just true because we've learned it over the last couple of years. It's true because God has said it all along. We don't hold the future in our hands. We are here for a short while. Life doesn't revolve around us and our plans. And so if you're feeling uncertain about the year ahead, let me say the answer is actually not to look back and hope for things to return to normal. You know, like, like someone entering into the new year 2022, but they're going backwards like this, watching behind them going, I just want what was. I want things to go back to how it was. How things were, we were under this delusion, thinking that our plans were everything, thinking that we were in control, thinking that life and, and the universe revolved around us. But it's just not true. It's not true for us as individuals. It's not true for us as a society. Learn from this teaching moment. Instead, the first thing for us to know is to actually see the true nature of things. We're not in control. We're not in charge. And life isn't about us. Our experiences teach us that, but actually here's where the Bible takes us further. God takes us where the last couple of years' worth of experiences simply can't. And this is the big difference, actually, between the world's point of view and the Bible's point of view, right? The world only leaves us with a kind of hopeless pessimism that says, oh, it just is what it is and we have to learn just to roll with it. But the Lord, through his word, takes us further than that. He actually gives us hope for the new year. And when I say hope, I don't mean pie in the sky, oh, I hope. I mean realistic, solid, dependable hope. And in fact, he takes us to a place of humble action. Because take a look at verse 15. Here God gives us a way to move forward in the new year and to actually make plans. Look at what he says. Instead... So instead of saying, I'm going to go here, do this, do that, whatever I want, I'll make it happen. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, it's one thing to say that we aren't in control. And as I said, our experiences take us that far. But here, James serves up a contrast that takes us further. God is in control. God is sovereign He's on the throne. And just consider the differences between us and God. I think this is actually the biggest difference that exists in all reality, the difference between creator and creature. Okay? Here's God. Unlike us, he knows the future. In fact, even more than that, 
He holds the future in his hands. And, unlike us, he is not a mist. He is not just here for a little while, then gone. God is eternal. He is the creator. He's the only thing that has been around forever, before time and space itself. In fact, if you come to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, there's a title that's given to God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. It's a title, Alpha and Omega, two Greek letters, right? You might recognize them. The COVID variants have had these, you know, beta, gamma, delta. Uh, these are all Greek letters. Omicron, that's a Greek letter. Well, here we have God given the title Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's saying that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are the A and Z of everything. They're the first and the last. God is uncreated, always been here, always in control, the author of history. He's the one on the throne. Therefore, according to James, we can make plans. But in our planning, we can't ignore this God who is the A to Z. This God who really is in control, who knows the future, who is in charge. This really echoes the words, ancient words from Proverbs 19 verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but whose purpose prevails in the end? The Lord's, because he is on the throne. And there's a positive and maybe a warning to this. On the plus side, this means we do have a way to move forward and make plans, right? We can seek to make plans that are aligned with God's purposes. If we do, then it's not hopeless, it's not pointless, it's not just it is what it is. We can actually move forward if we seek God's will, if we seek to have our plans aligned with his purposes. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But on the other hand, if we don't align our purposes with God's, there is a warning here. And the warning is that we might find ourselves bulldozed by the reality that he, in fact, is in charge. Because in the end, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Which brings us to the question, why would we ever make plans without God? Why do we? I do. Why do we? Why do we, a mist who can't control the future, plan without the sovereign God of all creation in mind? I'll give you three reasons. And I wonder if one of these describes you more than the others. Think personally about this. Maybe it's because we're arrogant. We're proud. A bit like the people that James described. Oh, I'll go and do this. I'll go and do that. I'll just make it happen. Notice in verse 16, he uses this word arrogance. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. We might have this attitude of, I'm the one who's in control, I design my plans and I make them happen, I'm self-sufficient, I don't actually need God to help me, I don't actually need to be aligned with his purposes. And both Christians and non-Christians can have that arrogant sort of attitude. That might be one reason we plan without God. Another reason might be that we are ignorant. You see, uh, most of the time, we forget that God is actually there, right? 
We don't actually see him in front of us. And therefore, when it comes to, to sort of set up our schedules for the day, the month, the year, we can go about it quite prayerlessly. We can go about it without thinking, what is it that God actually wants me to do? The way that James puts that in verse 17 is that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Right? So we know that we ought to seek the Lord's guidance. We know that we ought to bring our plans in line with his purposes. We ignorantly don't do it. We forgetfully don't do it. But that's not just a little mistake. Oops, you know, I forgot. That's sin, says James. So it could be because we're arrogant. It could be because we're ignorant. It could be because we're anxious. I think this probably describes a bunch of us. You know, I feel stressed or uneasy whenever I think about the future. So I need to plan and plan and run it over in my head over and over again so that I actually feel on top of what's going to happen. I wonder if you identify with that feeling. It's like the future could be really bad. What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? And so if I plan and plan and plan and think it all over and cover off all the contingencies, then I'm in control. And that, friends, can also be sin. Hear me carefully on this. Anxiety itself is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a response. It is a physical and emotional response within us to a perceived threat or danger. That's okay. Some of us are more predisposed to perceive danger than others, and some of us have a stronger anxious response than others. Uh, that's quite okay. But in our anxiety, we can sin. We can begin to plan so much and catastrophize so much that we yearn to take God's place on the throne. We say, I've got to be the one who's managed this whole thing that might happen. I need to be in control of it. The result is constant stress, and this too is a sign that we are sinning. You see, we could be arrogant, ignorant, or anxious. And this might be why we push God out of our planning. But here's the thing, of course. God belongs on the throne. He is totally and completely in control. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can actually sit with the reality that we're not. In fact, it's actually very good news that God is in charge because he's a good God with good plans for his people. And nowhere do we see this better than in his ultimate plan his plan for salvation. This is actually where true hope lies. It's what the world can't give, but God does give. It's this ultimate plan for us to be saved and freed from our sin, including our arrogance, our ignorance, and the sin we commit in our anxiety. How does it come? Through the gospel. God's ultimate plan to rescue us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when you actually look at what happened at the end of Jesus' life, it, it actually looks a lot like 2021 may have felt for us, right? Things just look like they're spinning out of control and going from bad to worse. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends and followers. He's arrested by the Roman authorities. He's taken to a kangaroo court in the middle of the night where false accusations multi, uh, mount up against him. And even though they're not believed, he's still convicted. Things keep spinning out of control, it would seem. And finally, he is crucified on a cross. His followers scatter. It looks like this is all gone, all dead in the water. 
But just before all these things happen, before Jesus is arrested, before he's betrayed, he's praying in a garden, Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And I want you to listen to the words that Jesus prays. This is in Luke chapter 22, 41 to 42. He knelt down and he prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen to those words. First of all, Jesus isn't surprised by what's about to happen. He acknowledges that God has given him this cup, and the cup is symbolic of the suffering he's about to face. All right, The arrest, the torture, his death. He knows all this is coming, actually. He knows that this is the Father's plan. That's why he talks about it as a cup, a cup that he's going to drink, a cup of suffering. So he's not surprised. But then notice the second thing. He willingly submits himself to the Father's plan. He doesn't deny his emotions. He's there actually sweating, is what Luke goes on to say. And the sweat is like great drops of blood. It's just flowing out of him with this pain because he's thinking about what's coming. He's going, I can't handle that. This is going to be absolutely terrible. Not because of just the betrayal and the physical aspects, but the spiritual aspects. Because on the cross, the Father is going to pour out the judgment we deserve onto his Son. The Father, Son, and Spirit, who are the A to Z of history, who have always shared eternal relationship, will be rent asunder as the Father judges the Son in our place. Jesus knows that's coming. And he goes, I, I can't handle it. Even so, Father, not my will, but yours be done. What humble, loving, servant-hearted, other-centered submission that only the Son of God could do. And that's the thing. That's the thing. We so often fail to submit our plans to God, especially when things get hard. But Jesus did what we couldn't do. He always followed the will of his Father. He always brought himself in alignment with God's purposes, even when it cost him his life. And in so doing, by the plan of God, Jesus purchases forgiveness through his death for all those who would come to trust in him. Because as he faces God's judgment, he deals with it. He pays the price that we owe to God because of our sin, because of our arrogance and our ignorance. So all those who trust in Jesus can be saved, forgiven, free, return to relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And it's the gospel for the arrogant. Okay? It's the gospel for the arrogant. Are you shaking your fist at God saying, get out, I'm going to do things myself? Well, look up. He's not shaking his fist back at you. He's actually sent his son in love for you and sent his son to die for you who only ever shook your fist at him. He's lovingly opened the way for you to be forgiven for arrogantly thinking you can sit on his throne. He's opened the way to a new life of humility in relationship with him under his good guidance. It's the gospel for the arrogant. And it's the gospel for the ignorant. Do you quickly forget about God as you set your plans? Well, God hasn't forgotten you. He sent his son to die for you even though you and I are but a mist here today. 
gone tomorrow. It's not because we're important that Jesus died. It's because God is loving. And he wants to keep grabbing your attention over and over by pointing you back to the cross. It's the gospel for the ignorant. And it's the gospel for the anxious. It's the gospel for the one, probably a bit like me, who feels like he always needs to be in control of the future. He feels like he needs to plan and plan and plan to be on top of it. Well, this gospel means that you can be connected to the, the, the sovereign God of the whole universe who sent his son to die for you to free you from the need to be in control. Because if you trust in Christ, then you are God's. He holds you in his hand. He will shepherd you and guide you. And he says, all you need to do is seek my kingdom first. I'll give you everything else you need. This is the gospel for the anxious. Here's the biggest thing for us to know about the true nature of things. Because of God's salvation plan, the gospel, we're free to let God be on the throne, to let him be the one that holds the future and him be the one that holds us. And isn't that good news? And I just want to explore two more quick things that this means for us. First, it means that we need to submit our plans for this year to God. We can make plans. Plans are good. Don't hear what James is saying here as an abdication of your role as a steward, as someone made in God's image, so that you don't have to plan. Just let go and let God. That's absolutely not the case. He wants you to make plans. But they need to be plans that align with his purposes. Because his good purpose will ultimately hold sway. Now, there's two parts to that. One is our attitude. Much like Jesus in the garden, we need to be those that say, uh, Lord, I might struggle with what you want me to do, but your will be done. That's the first piece, attitude. But the other also is focus. Uh, what is it that we will focus on so that our plans are in greater alignment with God's purposes? And, you know, uh, people get really sort of tied in knots around this one. I've had lots of conversations with people where they've gone, I just don't know God's will for my life. Uh, and it could be things like, who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? What job am I supposed to take? All these different things. What cereal am I supposed to eat? It can go right down to the minute. Here's the answer, right? We, we could, there are huge books that are written on this, but here's the answer quite simply. Do the things that God has revealed in his word. He's told us lots of things that he wants us to be and to do because we're his saved people in Christ. So focus on those things. What is God's will for you in 2020? Well, it's nothing less than love your family well, lead them to know Jesus, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength by the power of the Holy Spirit inside you. Do your best. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go and help others come to know Jesus as you bear witness to them. Focus on the things that are on about God's kingdom. There's lots of other good things in life we can do and focus on, and they're great. That's good. We can do them with thankfulness. But focus on the things God said in his word, the things of his kingdom. Submit your plans to God this year. Align yourself with his purposes. But one final second thing. It means we don't need to be in control. We don't need the perfect plan for 2022. We don't need to have it all figured out. We can rest in the fact 
that God has saved all those who trust in his son. And therefore, if that's you, he will shepherd you. He will guide you. He will carry you through whatever this year might bring. Which means that unlike the world around us, we can approach this year with hope. And here's how one writer put it. Just at the, uh, the end of 2021, thinking about 2022, he said, Friends, fellow pilgrims, let's not lose hope. Next year will be a wonderful year. And he says, I say that not because I've become a prosperity gospel preacher or some shell of a Christian author that now promotes just bland positivity, saying this isn't just sentimentalism. I know next year will be a good year on the whole because God will continue to be our God. The drama of redemption rolls forward. We shouldn't be under any illusions that things will go our way. Resolutions will unravel, plans will crater, the unexpected will happen, non-great things, that means bad things, will still happen around the world, in the lives of those we love and in our lives too, but God is still God, a good God, a great God, and our God. This year will be a good year for our souls, because we have a good God keeping watch over us. And so in the even better words of Scripture, Hebrews 12, friends, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is in control. He is our God. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about this year ahead, uh, I know that there are many different thoughts, emotions, worries perhaps that are in this room and are also in amongst our brothers and sisters on the live stream. Lord, I pray that you would help us learn from the things that we've seen in the last couple of years, but also more than that, learn from your word, learn from what you've revealed to us, Lord, help us to let you be our God, to let you sit on the throne. Give us wisdom to put our plans under your great purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to remember and rehearse the gospel together now as we share in communion. Uh, we've got uh, some... Uh, crackers and some juice coming around and uh, if you could take those hold on to them you might want to just open up the top makes a little bit of noise uh, this is for all those who call upon Jesus as saviour and who have declared that faith who have made that faith clear to his church through the waters of baptism